Hey, John. Hi, Dan. Just a little, a little OS upgrade all of a sudden, forced <clears throat> well, into it. Nothing you could do about it, right? Well, I don't know because, you know, I logged on to the computer. You said there was a little bit of hiss, so I, yeah. uh, so I restarted. And then instead of restarting, it went to uh, some kind of update yeah. that I didn't ask for and didn't want. Right. Took, a, took 20 minutes or more to do. And uh, now I'm up, but there's a little window in the corner that says updates available. Do you want to install the updates now? So it didn't even, whatever it did, it didn't. Didn't do it all. Didn't do it all. Didn't Ugh. do it all. Ugh. Mm. But also the hiss you're hearing <clears throat> here in my house, I have a forced air heating system powered uh, by a furnace that burns heating oil that dates to the the you know the Paleolithic era. Yes. And then also the refrigerator is from the nineteen seventies. That's the best kind. Is it yellow? Uh it's not. I w- if it were yellow I would be more charitable toward it. It's <laughs> it's the color of a biscuit. And yeah. the compressor is very loud. And so anytime the refrigerator's on and the furnace is on, it's like competing hums. Mm. And um, I really thought that I would redo, you know, it's you get a house and you're like, I'm going to redo, I'm going to wave my hands and just redo this and redo that. But I have redone a lot, but I did not, I have not redone. I have not redone the kitchen. It is the same kind of jacked up kitchen it's been since i bought the house I look at it every day dan uh-huh. I li- listen to that refrigerator kick on i'm like i'm just gonna do something is it, it compressed does it sound like there's a little a tiny little person inside with a little hammer that kicks the compressor when it starts up it's not quite that old those are great the, the, i lived in a place with one of those yeah no I this is too. this is just the sound of a factory in the distance oh yeah you know i used to have a, a fridge in a house that i lived in in florida that even though it was brand new <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever it would start up that sounded like there was a little fan it probably was a little uh, fan inside that would kind of go and it would just run like that and i i called out a friend of mine whose name was dj dj giles hey dj if you're listening hope you're doing good and uh he was the total i mean he self-identified just for the record he self-identified as a redneck hillbilly hick and he totally was and he 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 embraced it i mean yes. he embraced that absolutely and, you know he used to have his old beat up pickup truck and we used to we used to hang out together sometimes we'd drive around and he'd be like that's a carpet carpet man right over there i'd be like how can you tell he's like well look at this thing in the back of his truck the only carpet guys have that and i'm like okay uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh and he used to do all kinds of repairs and contracting and he was one of these guys if he wasn't if he wasn't high he was a little drunk uh-huh. And uh, and he you know he he lived a really nice life. He had a, a you know like a land and he had goats, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And so I called him out. I'm like, this thing makes a sound, you know. He's like, oh, you want me to come day look at us? Yeah, come take a look at it. And so he came out, you know, and he pulls it apart. He pulls the back off. He's looking at it. He's like, oh, it's this. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, that's what's making the sound. That's what that is. And he just started beating on it with a hammer. And Good. I'm like, that doesn't seem like it will fix it. And he's like, ah, it's, it's, it'll do something. And it, it didn't. It didn't do anything. And, oh, it didn't um, do anything. No, oh. it didn't. It didn't. It didn't make it worse, though. Oh, I thought. But it I didn't thought, do anything. I thought the hero of the story was going to be. No, <laughs> that oh, would be poetic. But no, <laughs> it did nothing. You know, I have over the over the years, I have used the word redneck and hillbilly. Yes, both to describe whole great swaths of the uh, American landscape and the and the people that inhabit it. Uh-huh. And I've heard, I've heard from people over the years uh, that there is a there is a contingent of our listeners who who have redneck pride and who would distinguish being a redneck from being uh, from being you know like a ignorant person yes 
that being a redneck is something that they're proud of. And, you know, I, I came from a uh, part of the world that had no shortage of rednecks and had, uh, <laughs> and my mom had no, no shortage of feelings about them. Yes. And, um, but honestly, I do not, and I had, and I had redneck friends and have them still, but I don't fully understand redneckitude. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can. I think it's I, yeah. I don't know if you can either. I think you know. For I, it occurs to me as we discuss this that there are people, both you know, there are many people outside of uh, uh, the United States listening, but there is also a good deal of people in the United States listening that maybe don't know what these terms mean, and so I've used um, the Oxford Dictionary to look this up. Oh, and hillbilly is defined as. Uh, Derogatory and informal. It's North American. And the definition is an unsophisticated country person. Yes. Associated originally with the remote regions of the Appalachians. Yes. And a redneck is defined also derogatory and formal. A working class white person, especially a politically reactionary one hmm. from mm -hmm. a rural area. Okay. And here's the quote of how it's used in a sentence. Rednecks in the high cheap seats stomped their feet and hooted. Yes, in the high cheap seats. <laughs> now, do not do not confuse these terms with bumpkin, no. yokel, or no. a, a hayseed. Or a, now, a hick, a hick borders on these. Hick is defined in formal North American: a person who lives in the country, regarded as being unintelligent or provincial. Wondering what a hick from the sticks was doing there is using it in a sentence. What is a hick from the sticks doing there? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I would actually say that DJ was all three of these, although no ties to the Appalachians. I think that's an outdated definition. Well, as you know, any, uh, any derogatory term can be repurposed by the group as a, as a, a term of pride. Like there are plenty of people from the, from the mountain states, and I don't mean the western mountain states, but the old mountain states, uh, that would call themselves hillbillies as a kind of, at least in the music business, yeah, you know, as a as a badge of honor, yeah, oh I yeah, definitely hear that uh, the redneck thing used too. Although you're right, it's very hard to separate the idea, at least in my head, uh, of a, of a redneck from. Uh, reactionary yeah. politics yeah but i guess there are liberal rednecks i'm sure there are it even seems like a thing that would be on a t-shirt i'm a liberal <laughs> redneck i mean or or would they if they are liberal does it push them out of redneck and into hillbilly or hick or no i think Hill, bump, bumpkin i do feel like hillbilly is more of a regional thing mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. feel like hick means you're you, you're pretty dumb if you're a hick but redneck is a is a different thing and i think you can be into guns trucks and country music and not be a oh, reactionary yeah. in a political life absolutely so are you there they've got to be like i don't if i ask jason isbell are you a redneck mm -hmm. i don't know what he'd say i bet he'd say no because he's got a lot of pride about the fact i mean he has pride in his alabama roots but also He's a Southern gentleman, right? He would, because there's, as the dictionary pointed out, there's a class distinction, a strict class yes, distinction. Yes, right? yes. And, uh, but there's a lot of blue collar pride in this country. And I'm, yes, you know, is. one of the things that depressed me was when blue collar pride got, when the chocolate of blue collar pride got mixed with the peanut butter of redneck values. <laughs> Because, you know, all those people in Michigan yeah, and all those people in Wisconsin yeah, and Ohio and Indiana and Illinois, why the hell are they rednecks? I get that they're hicks and I get that they're, you know, that they have a lot of blue collar pride, but redneck is wrong. I mean, yeah. that, you know, and it's based, of course, on their red ass necks. So in that <laughs> sense, I feel like, yeah, right. You had redder necks than anybody for for decades, for sure. centuries. Yeah. 
but the I, and the, and you make the trucks for Christ's sakes. <laughs> You're the ones that make the trucks in the first place. Yeah, that's right. And you probably made the guns for that matter, because that's where all the things get made up there. But I don't know. I associate it so much with with um, with the southern states, and in particular where you are, kind of the. I mean, there's no more redneck place in the world than Fort Worth, Texas, is there? I mean, no. I'm going to say no. And that's a city. It, Yeah, it is. We've been talking a lot about American geography on this program lately. I think I think of it as a geographical-centric conversation now for us. We do. We talk, we talk about geography. And honestly, there, there are so many places in the world that I don't understand. I, like, I have a... It's funny how we know about we know stuff about Australia. Mm-hmm. I've never been there. Have you been there? No, sir. But I know a lot about it. Not as much as an Australian would know about America, <laughs> right? Because we make all these movies that we ship everywhere, and everybody- well, the whole world knows about America because of our movies. And I think that that's that's what one of the things that makes America so well known is that entertainment still, yeah. Well, also, it really lives here. Also, that we're the greatest country in the world. Well, yeah, you can't say that. But I still do. Well, just said it. Mm -hmm. I still know a lot about Australia and even about New Zealand. But you know, I know, I know a little. Like, could you pass a test if I gave you a test on it? Could you think you could answer the question? No. Okay. No, I couldn't. I know a little bit about India. You know, you know about everywhere a little bit if you read about things. But I don't think you can know about a place until you've until you've really been there. Yeah. And that and that frustrates me. It frustrates me more and more, Dan, that there are so many places in this world I don't know about. Right. I was you know, I look at maps all the time of the of the uh caucuses the and the yes. and the stands and the you know, the Caspians. Mm. Because I because I'm so curious about it. It's like the it feels like it should be the center of the world. And for a lot of people, it is the center of the world. And I've never been there, don't know the first thing about it. I mean, I look at maps of it all the time. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, the the Volga-Dan Canal. Like, I'd like to go through the Volga-Dan Canal. <laughs> and then you read about it, and it's like, well, the Volga-Dan Canal, you know, what that lets you do is you can get over, you know, you can get all the way to the RLC, and I'm mm. like, you can? Well, how do I? How would I do that? And then I start looking at like, well, how would you do it? Well, got to get there first, and then you'd figure it out. <laughs> but, but there are people every day doing it. There are people back and forth, back and forth. There are people on one end of that that dream about going to the other end of it. Oh yeah, and the other end of it is still a place that I don't even, I don't have the first idea how to get to or what I would do there. Like, and that's the amazing thing to me is there are all these roads that take people a lifetime to travel, and and if you told me where they started and where they ended, I'd be like, hmm, is that in Central Asia? Yes, it is. Huh? Yeah, I think I remember. One of those towns was on the Silk Road. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. And, and I feel like I missed my chance. I feel like there was a time where that region was relatively peaceful in my young life. When I was in my 20s, I feel like you could have, you could have traveled in that region. And except for the Iran-Iraq war, I feel like you could have made that route. And nobody would, and you would have just had to deal with the normal culture fuck of that, of of being an American in those places. But it wouldn't have also been like your life is in danger at every moment because nobody likes Americans here. People used to like Americans. I've been, I was on many trips where America was in good standing in the world and places that I went, people welcomed me as an American. They welcome me as a human being and as a poor person, but also as someone from America, the great country. I don't know what, I don't know what that feels like now. Mm-hmm. If you're in Baku, Azerbaijan, and you're like, I'm an American, whether I don't know what you get, but 
that's frustrating to me that I'm now looking at what, however long it will be before peace reigns in the world again. <laughs> yeah. But I just, <laughs> you know, there's, there's just so much you think the, you think, I think a lot of this world, Dan, I yeah. really do. I think very sure. highly of earth. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, and yeah, I, it's a good, it's a nice place. I yeah. mean, I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, there are owls mm-hmm. and there are, uh, atolls. Mm-hmm. So many, so many things between owls and atolls. Yes. And, and, and I know so little about it still. And that, that, uh, that's frustrating. Yeah. But, but uh, something happened to me along the way where I don't want to go a place where I don't have a reason to go. Like I got really tired of just sort of going from one thing to the next without any reason to be there or any call to be there. Let's say that. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I don't want to stand around somewhere with a camera around my neck in Bermuda shorts, taking pictures of the cathedral and then going to the postcard rack and buying pictures of the same cathedral that I just took Mm -hmm. pictures of. Mm -mm. Uh, That was never what I wanted to do with my life. But you stand in there looking at the cathedral, pretending that you've got something to do. You know, that was what was great about smoking cigarettes. Wherever you were, you had something to do. Yeah. There was a reason yeah. for you to be there. You're having and a potentially camaraderie with other people. It Absolutely. got you outside. It got you out of the, the, the room or the house. It was an excuse to, to take a break. You go out there, other people out there. You might even encounter people who don't normally smoke. They're like, hey, could I bum one? Of course you can. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, and now you got a new best friend. Anytime somebody would say, what are you doing here? You go, I'm having a cigarette. Well, there it is. That's what you're doing. You're doing something. You're here to do this. You're here to have a cigarette. Without a cigarette, what are you doing here? I don't know. What are you doing here? Nothing. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm not going to start smoking again just to have a reason to stand outside a cathedral in Baku and, and look like I'm, I belong. Now, I know that we've addressed this. I've asked you this before, and I might have even been last week. But it, last week to me... Feels like a year ago, it, and and a year ago feels like a a million years ago. I know, but I think we had talked about this, and I had told you that my friend uh, Casey had a stepdad who had been in every armed force that there was. Oh I yeah, think. yeah, you did. You His did name was this. John. His name was John. See, all the this great is Johns. the same guy who introduced me to Snap On Tools. Have I told you that story? We did. We talked about them not long yeah. ago. Yeah, that was that's the the that is the guy that. It, mentioned that to me. So he, uh, he had said, and I think I asked you this question, but he had said that quitting smoking was harder for him than quitting all. And he had done all of the other drugs that were available up to that point, including crack. Uh-huh. And he said that above all smoking was the most difficult to quit probably because I, my guess is because it, at least back then, this was the, like late eighties, early nineties. That it was accept- socially acceptable to smoke. In the 80s, you not only, you know, was it acceptable, but they were sold everywhere. They were The little machines were all around in the, the bowling alleys and the bars and the restaurants. And there was a smoking section in a restaurant. And, you know, it wasn't, it was, in fact, it was even encouraged in many situations. And though, so if you wanted to quit that, like everywhere you go, there were people smoking. You know, you go to a restaurant, you're sitting in a booth, the guy in the next booth is sitting there smoking. Yes. What you say is true, Dan. I don't know. I was thinking about smoking cigarettes earlier today. You were. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you get stressed out. You're in an emergency situation. You're like, it'd be, it'd be nice to just smoke a little bit right have now. a smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it would. It's often nice to have a smoke. I would have a smoke. I enjoyed every single cigarette I ever smoked. Every yeah. every time. Every time. I loved it. I enjoyed I it. every one until the very end. At the end, the last few I had I did not enjoy, and that's why I stopped. Mm-hmm. And right now when I think about it, <coughs> I do not want one. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky. I quit smoking 10 times. Every time I quit smoking, I still wanted one. 
and I stayed off of them for months, sometimes over a year. But when that little, when that notion crept back in, yeah, hey, it's your birthday. Come on, it's New Year's Eve. You know, whatever. Right. I always wanted one. So when when that idea was like, just have one, came in, which is the that is the great, that's the great voice of Satan. <laughs> Satan doesn't have right? doesn't have big plans. Satan doesn't ride a tank and and hold the general's rank. Satan says, just have one. Yeah. Just one. Just one. It's just one. It's just one. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you do just one? Yeah. What are, what's the matter with you? You can't do you can't just have one? That's Satan. Okay, so here's an article on a site called uh, BMJ. Okay. BMJ. <laughs> Which is it's oh no, I'm sorry. It's it's bmj.com, but it's called the BMJ. I don't know oh, what this is. The big the big mamba jamba. Yeah. <laughs> but it says Conclu- there was a test of the emergency uh, broadcast some studies system. that were done and the conclusion is smoking only about one cigarette per day carries a risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke much greater than expected around half the people oh. a half that for people who smoke 20 per day so you have half the chance of developing coronary heart disease and stroke than someone who smokes a pack a day Just by having one a day. One a day. No safe level of smoking exists for cardiovascular disease. Smokers should aim to quit instead of cutting down to significantly reduce their risk of these two common major disorders. Wow. And so this study, so I'm shocked to hear that one a day is half as much as 20 a day. You would think that it would be one twentieth that. And there's an article here on WebMD that says smoke one cigarette a day. It can still kill you. That's the title. Wow. Yeah. And they're actually referring to the other uh, article that was done um, uh, at the Institute of Universe at Institute at University College in London. Oh, Institute. Yeah. Oh, even I, so- I love their work. <laughs> even so-called light smoking carries a heavy price. A heavy price. Yeah. Well, so uh, something happened to me where I did something that feels very much like I arrived at a day where if I didn't quit smoking on that day, then bad things were going to happen. And I still think about that day because it's been over 10 years. And when I think about having a cigarette, like if I, because I can still picture it. If I think about like, Oh, I'll just have one. And I put that cigarette in my mouth and light it and take that first, uh, drag Mm -hmm. i will drop dead Mm. and that's how it feels like it feels like because you go to the doctor and they're like did you do you smoke and you're like no did you ever yes how long did you smoke long time Mm -hmm. from 1988 to 2011 ooh ooh you did that for a while on and off you know because there were these there were these 10 times that I quit for 6 months mhm that's 5 years ish yeah. yeah but that's not true i didn't quit for 6 months for 10 times i quit for 6 months a couple of times i quit for a year once but then the other times i was just quit for a month or whatever right but i did the thing where you quit smoking but your girlfriend still smokes so you're sitting around so have around. you really have you really quit then no well i mean you're standing around you're getting but but you know the second hand's the worst part too and i that's wasn't the worst part i wasn't even trying to be a moralizer you know i wasn't sitting there like honey <laughs> you know i'm just yeah. like sure you know you want to smoke i don't you you go on and smoke i'm fine but you know what am i what are you doing to yourself you're just breaking your you're breaking your own balls. Yeah. But when they say that, when the doctors say, well, did you ever smoke? And the answer is yes. They go, hmm, well, and I ask, of course, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and they always say the same thing, which is, well, it's better that you quit. Right. It's like, right. Great. Great. But whatever that was, whatever that moment 
where I was sitting there and I looked at that last cigarette and went, ugh. Yeah, that's the, that's the moment. That's what you want. That's yeah. the moment that you were wanting. I well, think. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for that moment. But I also feel like maybe that was one too many. Oh, maybe yeah. I went over the you line. You can't live your life like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You can't do that to yourself. You're right. You're right. It's all. It's going to be fine. I'm sure it's fine. Look at me now. Totally fine. Haven't had a cigarette in a long time. Don't even yeah. want one. So I'm fine. It's fine, fine, fine. I've fine. heard that you recover really, really quickly. Yeah. yeah Your I've body recovers too. really, really quickly. Heard that too. I also heard that there's no limit of the amount of coffee you can drink in a day. Mm. You can drink as much coffee as you want, Dan. All the, you know, Institute at London School of Economics says you can drink <laughs> as much coffee as you want. <laughs> do they? Yeah, sure they do. They're like, you know, we've think, done all the How much coffee studies. are you having, John? How much are you having? Well, I'm keeping it. I'm I'm keeping it tight. I'm not mm. I'm not doing the old two pots of coffee a day thing anymore. I'm mm. having wow. I great. think I do three two between three and five cups of coffee. Mm. I'm having a cup of coffee right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You you have coffee. You drink coffee. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And chocolate, coffee and chocolate. Mmm, coffee and chocolate. I remember that guy that used to send you the um, the chocolate bars and stuff, and you would taste them on the air. Remember that? I would like that. I would like that to happen again. Maybe not the tasting on the air, but I would like him to send me chocolates. Yeah, I would like anyone to send me chocolates. Um. Oh, and by the way, I, I I'm gonna. I don't think did you did we talk about Yokin? On last week's regular show, or the bo- it was a regular show, right? I think so. You know, have, <clears throat> the thing about he replied, he replied, the, the and I want to do it in the right place. The thing about talking about Yokin on the air is that you conjure Yokin. It's like it's like <laughs> yes, you know, it's like saying Beetlejuice three times, or or uh, it's like rubbing a lamp, and then you have, and then the genie's in the room. Yes. And then you have to say, well, now, wait a minute. Did I want, did I really want to, uh, to invite the genie into the house? <laughs> because the genie now is, you know, and the genie is now another thing. You, you, you invite the genie because you're like, oh no, there's a, there's a ghost genie help. And then the genie's here and you're like, oh no, now I have a genie. <laughs> now I have a genie. So maybe, anyway, uh, maybe I, that's bad. I, well, but not, I don't think Yokin is bad. Not bad. And the thing is, if I had a genie right now, i I would love if I would love if there were a genie here. Well, we even have with all Yokin the problems. Is, the, is our genie. He is the genie, and he replied. I want to read it. I want to read it. You're going to read Yokin's reply. Yokin. Yes. Yokin is a, a, a. He writes a lot. He writes a lot of words. He is mm-hmm. not circumspect, let's say, That's when it comes to when it comes to putting down words on paper. He's not uh uh well, what would you say? Uh, sh- uh, he he doesn't write short emails. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't expect a genie to. Think about think about the genie in the movie Aladdin as played by Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the emails that that genie would write? Long. I think they're pretty long. I think that kind of genie doesn't need to type them. He just bing along like uh, I dream a genie. That's my imitation of her winky winky sound. winky. Bing yeah. mm-hmm. No winky winky winky. That's bewitched. Oh, you're right. You're right. That's bewitched. But bing bong. That's genie. Right. Bing and bong. my crush on on genie Barbara Eden was strong. Really? Let's just say that way over Elizabeth Montgomery. Way more. Really? I don't know. Okay, so here is the Oaken's answer. Okay. And he didn't say, please don't share this. No, no, no. So I'm assuming he knows that this is going to be read. I have to assume that. Okay. Here comes the answer for this week's assignment, in which episode of Roadwork did John talk about hiring his friend Peter as a contractor for his new house? Oh, yeah, right. <clears throat> and then he has like some spaces down with little dots Drum roll, he says that, and then there's more spaces down. Episode 191. Of Roadwork. He says, yes. He says, again, you and John were both correct. You, meaning me, are correct in so far that I do not mind getting asked to look up episode numbers and having my expertise recognized with a shout out on the show. And John is correct that I embarked on this project for personal reasons. 
Publishing my notes on a wiki platform is more of a side benefit, not the primary goal. Yes. If it helps one person, if it saves one life, yes. it was worth putting it out there. Yes. I do not want to insert myself into John's life and John's work further than he might want because he never asked me to do any of this. And I feel I can't just show up saying, I spent five years and 3,000 hours doing this thing for you that you never asked for. Now you have to be my friend, make me part of your podcast, and I will comment on every post on your message board because I want to make all of this about me. <laughs> he says, I'm very happy that my effort resulted in an opportunity to meet John in person and to exchange some emails with him. But I know my place and my duty, mm, wow. which is working behind the scenes, yes. making his work more accessible to new listeners who don't get all the references and inside jokes and to allow them to reap as many benefits from the shows as I did, but I do it in my way because this is not a collaboration and I don't want anybody else to have a stake in it. Right. You talked about the wiki in great detail in episode 110. And in case you want to know more about my thoughts and reasons, you find my comments here and it's johnroderick.wiki slash meta. Yes. Have a great weekend, Jochen. And he says, pronounce yo-ken in the first non-German approximation. So Jochen is the correct pronunciation and I will, I will put that link in our show notes should people want to read about the meta discussion of Jokin and his his projects and what he is doing and um it's uh it's great it's great i mean i spent a lot of time reading the website again i had forgotten how uh how much i liked it so uh -huh. it's a great site it is well and i I encounter people all the time who have made peace with their thing mm -hmm. and have figured out that what they need to say to to other people is, I am doing this and do not want anyone else's help or contribution. And if that means that I am wrong in your estimation about a thing, if I'm doing it wrong, if uh, whatever, whatever yeah. comment you have mm -hmm. where you feel like I'm not doing this the way you would do it, what mm -hmm. I need you to know is I don't care at all. And if you want to do it differently, you go do it. But I'm not doing this for anyone but myself. And that's a hard, it's a hard thing for other people to accept. This was a thing early on with the Jonathan Colton Cruz. The Joko Cruise started, and it was a small part of a small cruise ship. Like it was a cruise ship. It was like a tiny little Holland America boat that only had 700 capacity or something. Mm -hmm. And the Joko Cruise element of it was only 300 people. So we were on a boat with a lot of snorks, and there weren't really even enough people in the in the Joko portion to fill the main theater. And it was so impossible as a performer and a friend of Jonathan's not to have really big ideas about what he should do. Oh, you got to do this, Jonathan. Oh, man, you got to do that. And Hodgman, being Jonathan Colton's oldest friend, college roommate, and also extremely opinionated person, and also someone to whom Jonathan had, you know, had been his understudy or his, you know, Hajma was already a, a famous performer and Jonathan was his friend who came and played songs. Mm -hmm. Hodgman just gave him so much unsolicited advice. And Jonathan's a very nice guy and he didn't want to, he didn't want to say, you know, so for a long time he was like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Hmm. Good idea. But it was clear he had no intention of following anybody else's advice. And there was a while there in the second or third cruise where it was like, what are you doing, man? You're ruining this by not taking our great advice. And eventually, you know, he got testy about it and was like, start your own cruise. <laughs> like, if your advice is so good, then go start your own cruise, the Hodgman Roderick cruise. And it remains frustrating to us today. I mean, I'm not a part of the organization anymore, but... Until, even if I think about the cruise to this very moment, I think, well, you could have averted some of those problems if you'd made a certain different decision or two back in 2012. But you can't fault him 
because his thing's been a success for him, you know? Mm -hmm. I have a friend right now who is having a baby and she does not want anyone's help. And a big part of it is she doesn't want anyone telling her how to raise her child. And she's establishing the groundwork. She's establishing the baseline. Well, you know, in the early days of her pregnancy by saying, I don't want anyone's help. I don't want anyone's advice. And I don't want anyone ever to feel like they have authority over me raising my child the way I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to take the hits. You know, I'm willing to suffer in order to not have that, uh, in order, in order to, to be free. And, you know, she's never had a kid. And so there's a lot about having a kid that you don't know until you do, until you have it. Yeah. And it's oh, just, every, well, everything. Right. And that's something that simply cannot be explained to you. No, it's a ton of work. You know, that it's like a, a level of work above any amount of work you can conceive of. But at the same time, when I listen to her, I go, right, like you are, like the father's not in the picture, and and you're glad. And in a way, all of the things that one might say, like, well, you're going to need this, you're going to need that. It takes a village. How are you going to blah, 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 all that stuff. Unless you're helping, unless you're actually like, here are some, here are some cases of formula that I, that fell off the back of a truck or here I, you know, here are 10 onesies that say ACDC on them. <laughs> um, you know, the rest of it is just, you're just blowing smoke and I definitely, in my own relationship to to my daughter, always measured my decision making on uh, against like the first premise, which is my daughter's mother is one hundred percent essential to her. Mm -hmm. No matter how essential I am to her, it will be less than one hundred percent. A dad can be a hundred percent essential, but until the mother has made herself unreliable, you know, and in this case, my daughter's mother is not. So when I make any decision, my first question is, does this benefit her and her relationship with her mom? Mm-hmm. Is this in is this in service of her or of me? And if it's not in service of her, if it doesn't benefit her and her relationship with her mom, then what then I have to look at it again. You know, I have to go, hmm, what what am I doing here? And it it got me in a lot of hot water with Millennium Girlfriend who wanted yeah. me to do assert all these prerogatives. I was like, I got no prerogatives beyond that those two are insulated from pain. I will not bring pain in. My job, right. if there is one, is to take pain away. Like, if there, is there a better description of what a father is supposed to do than stand between the mother and her children and pain? Um, but I, you know, so I, I have this friend that's embarking on uh, this life journey uh, by having a child on her own and with no uh, and asking for no help from anyone and and it looks from the outside like well that's intense you know like that's a kind of independence that feels almost uh, like self-destructive but then you think about it a different way and it's like there are a billion mothers and there are six billion mothers or three billion mothers. Mm, I don't know how many billion mothers, but over a billion mothers. And they're all doing it differently. Every single one. Yeah. You know, there's like, a, there's so many different ways to be a mother. And 
I don't think there's a there's a wrong way. I there's no way I would look at this uh, friend who is like doing something that's inconceivable to me and think, oh no, you can't do that. And I know that she's surrounded by people telling her that they, that she can't do it because it's just innate, right? You go to a, you go to a group of people at a table and go, "I'm having this baby all by myself," and they'll all be like, "What? No, you can't do that. No, you have no idea." And it's like, no, she has no idea. But also, there's over a billion mothers. It's probably two billion mothers. I don't know. I'm not going to guess how many billions of mothers there are. I'm going to throw it out there, though. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's more than two billion mothers. And so with the people that listen to this show and to Roderick on the Line and to Back to Work and to all of the shows, I increasingly feel like every one of them is has a relationship to this show that is not wrong. And whatever it is, there are people that listen to this show that don't like either one of us, Dan. They don't like me and they don't like you. And why they're listening to the show, I have no idea. No, No, it's absolutely, there has to be. Given the number of people that listen to the show, there has to be more than one. for then? I don't know. No, there's definitely people that that listen and are like, ah, you know, I don't like that John guy. Or, ah, definitely don't like Dan. And I mean, there's a lot of people who don't like Merlin, but I think there's no one here who doesn't like both people. Why would they listen? Just to hate? I don't think so. I, like, they're, like they're here. I would think that, that people are here to hear this conversation, to hear especially your stories. Why are they here if they're not interested in that? That makes no sense to me. Well, I don't think they're not interested, but they don't. It's, it, it, it is, I think, 100% not just possible. It, it, it absolutely must be that there's someone listening to the show right now who's like, yeah, that's me. I don't actually like either one of you. But it's interesting or whatever. They get something out of it. They're not doing it wrong, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're consuming the show for their own reasons and they have their own and it's part of their media package. Right, it's like they're listening, but I would not, I don't like the idea that there are people out there right now listening. Yeah. Who are thinking to themselves, God, I hate these guys. Well, they like, might. I want, I want to encourage them to stop. I want them to tell them, go, go away. They might then. not be. They might not be thinking that. You know, it's, it's possible that it hadn't occurred to them that they don't like us until I just brought it up. Uh. But I don't think it would be very unlikely, I think, that there's someone listening to the show who's like contemptuously like, these guys are dumb at, you know, like I don't think there's anybody listening to the show just to sneer and hate. That yeah. would be exhausting. Yeah. But I do think there are people, even fans of the show who maybe don't like us as much as they like the show because the show is its own, its own thing. It's like, you See can, that's the thing. I think there are people who like I don't I don't like the format or I don't like this thing, but I like I like the guys on the show, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick around. Think about all the people that like Woody Allen movies but don't like Woody Allen. Well, that's most people. But but this this show we're doing, I'm not comparing it to a Woody Allen movie or and I need to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought that up. I have to ask you for permission about something. Okay. But keep going. Keep but going you know, it's not like this podcast is a little feet record, but it is a thing it is a it is a program and you can like a program and not like the people on it even when the program is specifically of and by the people on it like it's possible to not like larry david but enjoy curb your enthusiasm it's yeah. it's even a harder leap to not like us and listen to this show because it is truly us the show but i do think it's possible i do i not just possible probable that some portion of our listeners now i'm not inviting them to write 
No, you're not asking. And for say, that. Let's be very clear. And say, we hey, guys. Those are specifically people we don't want to hear from. <laughs> I we don't want the them to write and say, right, <laughs> like, I hate you guys, and here's why. I don't want to hear that. Keep that to yourself. And maybe not hate, you know, but like anything negative, keep to yourself. When I when I did friendly fire with the with the uh, the the those two dinglings, mm-hmm. absolutely a portion of our listeners hated me and loved those two guys, and a portion of our listeners loved me and hated those two guys. See, I don't think that you're divisive. I'm just going to go on record <laughs> and say this. <clears throat> what? No, I do not. No, this is my opinion. I don't think that you're divisive. I don't think that people listen to you and think like, I don't think that there's people who are saying that that guy, John, I hate that guy. And then there's another group who's like, I I, I love him. I think he's the best in the world. I think you're going to get people who say, I love him. And people are like, oh, whatever. Eh, It's fine. Really? But I don't think that there's, there's people coming at you, listening to your stuff saying, what an idiot. What a jerk. What a, you know what I'm saying? I don't think that that's, like, but I hear that definitely from with other people who are more divided. I think, let me put it this way. I don't think you're at the top of the list of divisive podcast hosts. Let me put it that way. But you're, you know, compared to some, there's some famous ones out there, like, a, like the Joe Rogans of the world, where people are like, I hate that guy. And you're like, well, yeah, I know. I get why you hate him. He's divisive. I just don't think of you as divisive in that way. Well, you know, I'm not trying. Do to- Do you want to be? Is this no, like no, no, a disappointment? No, no, no. Do you, no, no, no. you rather? I, I, but I'm, I'm not trying to provoke uh, people with, with like I have a lot of hot takes, right? And I am throwing hot takes all the time, but I'm not doing it just to get a rise out of people. I'm, I'm doing it because I'm trying to f- figure, figure it out, figure, figure it out for me. And so I think there are plenty of people that take a. That that I think all of the all of our devoted listeners have figured out that you can't take one hot take. You have to measure it against all the others, and realize that that it, it all adds up to a picture, right? It's there's no one hot take that's the definitive one. And I might have the opposite thing to say about it six months later. And it's not that I'm fickle; it's that there's a lot of different ways to to look at stuff. But I'm not doing it as a, as a, uh, like a media personality. I'm doing it as a somebody who's who sits around and is like, "Huh, what about? Well, what, that doesn't make sense." You know, I'm I'm just doing it on air. So there are people that don't like certain conclusions I've come to, or certain certain inquiries I make about things. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, there are people that feel like some stuff is settled law and they don't want me to question settled law. They don't think it's necessary or they think I'm being, uh, they think questioning it is the same as um, tilting against it. Mm. And they don't want it tilted against because it's the, it's one of the, the four walls that that hold up their house or whatever and me tilting against it seems churlish or it just seems like I'm just doing it to get a rise even though anybody that listens to the show knows that I'm that's that's not any part of the goal to get a rise out of people and that's what Joe Rogan and Howard Stern I mean they're just on there like trying to say dirty words um who knows what Joe Rogan believes I mean, I've never listened to his show. There's so many of us that are talking about Joe Rogan. None of us have ever heard his show. Have you? Yes. So I don't know. You know more than I do about where he's coming from. But there are just so many people in media. You can tell right away the ones that are talking in a fake voice. There are people that have a radio voice. And as soon as I hear a radio voice, and I don't mean like a a timbre, but a tone, Mm -hmm. they're not saying what they, they're not. That's not who they are. They're doing a voice. And if they're doing a voice, then their mind is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And if your mind is elsewhere, then, then you're just doing a, it's just a production. You're just reading Winnie the Pooh out loud. And, (laughs) and so I'm not like, I, I assume somebody has written this down for you, you know, 
if I hear a voice, even if it's you. You're you're reading a script is what you're talking about. Yeah. When I hear John Tesh talking about jazz music on the, on the radio, I'm not thinking like, wow, John Tesh really knows so much about this big band music. I'm just like, John Tesh is just here to, to, um, to get me to stop spinning the dial for a minute and listen to this track by the Andrews sisters. This is maybe an obscure reference. But there it is. I don't know if all of you out there are listening to John Tesh's syndicated big band jazz show, as I do. John Tesh, <laughs> he's pretty reprehensible. But so, but I do feel like I mean I used to read the columns of George Will in the newspaper. Yeah, I would watch William F. Buckley on television. Yeah, I didn't like those guys at all. But um, but I I enjoyed their work, I guess, and I didn't think for a minute that either of them believed everything they said. They both, I mean, Buckley really thought he believed everything he said, but he's he was shooting at the moon half the time. George Will for sure didn't believe everything he said. And I didn't mind that at all. But I, and I would have loved to sit down to dinner with them. But if you asked me how I felt about them, I would give you a lengthy, unflattering critique of both men and every word they ever said. So I think some, and we've talked about this a lot. I think something's changed in our world where, the idea of what you consume. I mean, and this is brought on by media capitalism. Media capitalism said, Oh, we want to find out exactly what you like. And then we'll shut out all the other noise and just give you exactly what you like. And that's what being a media consumer is getting exactly what you like all the time. Right. And people were like, I love that. I buy into that idea. Exactly what I like. And then the media capitalism said, and your friends will only be people that like the exact same stuff that you like. And people are like, yeah, that's what friendship is. It's liking the same stuff. Yeah, it is. It's liking exactly the same stuff. Exactly. People are like, yeah, I have a friend who doesn't like exactly the same stuff I do. Are they really my friend? Big media and big media was like, no, they're not. They should go hang out with other people that like the dumb stuff that they like. And it's just, it's gotten into our stupid brains that this is what a tribe is. That you like the same stupid shit made by dumbasses somewhere else, just uh, made specifically to numb you. And so there's, I think, just a pervasive feeling now that you you're who you are and who your friends are and where you stand is pretty much determined by what you like. I had a, a big argument on the side of the road one day in the pouring rain with Sean Nelson, who is what seven years younger than I am. And that is a, as, as we've discussed, Seven years is a long time in the in early Gen X to late Gen X. A mm. lot happened. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big difference. It's a big difference. You know, Ken yes. Ken Jennings and I are only five years apart, something like that, and they're all the time on our show things where it's like, Oh, well, you feel that way about it because you were young enough to like He-Man, and I feel the opposite about it because I was not. And you, you know, you and I are just young enough. You're just younger enough than I am. Mm-hmm. There's something very key in that in 1980 to 84, where you could be on one side of the line or the other, and it was. It feels like to me the dawn of media capitalism directed at children. And up until 1979, children's television was either 
um, supposed to be educational or was drawn entirely from that Hanna-Barbera, Warner hmm. Brothers, 1950s, like Bugs Bunny smokes a cigar and he's trying to kill this little bald man who's trying mm-hmm. to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like that was children's media. Yeah. And somewhere in 1980, 81, 82, there, there, was this this massive explosion of new cartoons, new entertainment, GI uh, Joe, Transformers, yeah, uh, He Man, and all the yeah. stuff coming from Japan, yeah. and all of a sudden there were these cutesy characters that talked in high squeaky voices, and there was there were cartoons where no one was trying to kill each other, no one was smoking cigars, no one was there was no classical music. There were no products from Acme anymore. It was just squeaky and then and like treacly and trying to sell stuff to you. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I'm not making it up. You know, it was widely written about in the in the time. But what that produced is this is this sense now now that we're all adults that you either were raised there or you were raised before there. I think. Mm-hmm. And Sean and I had this, this screaming fight where he was like, you don't like any of the things I like. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, you're right. And he was like, why are we friends? And I was like, that's the most irrelevant question to come to from that. Like, I don't like any of the things you like. Cause the things you like are dumb. Yeah. Morrissey, give me a break. <laughs> I spit on the ground. And he's like, wow. Morrissey. Morrissey is one of the great art, you know, he's like a tent pole artist. And I was like, a tent pole for, full, full of dum dums. But he, I was the only friend that he ever had that didn't share, that wasn't his friend because we shared a love of the same things. That's how you get to be a friend. You're the one wearing black eyeliner in the, in the lunchroom. You look over and there's some other kid wearing black eyeliner across the room and your eyes meet and you're like, do you like? Susie and the Banshees. I do. Do you? Oh my God. That's how you make friends. Well, that's all that you back in those days. That's probably all you needed, not only to be friends with someone, but even to marry them. <laughs> like, well, we like both like smashing pumpkins and Nirvana. So let's get married. That's yeah. I mean, why not? But, everything is, everything lines up. So it's good. We both have the ripped jeans and our dad's flannels. So we're good to go. And I, and I don't mean to just say it's generational because because I'm I was always a cut from a different stripe. But I would walk over and say, "You have black eyeliner on. Do you like Susie and the Banshees?" And they would say, "Yeah." Do you? And I would go, mm, "Not really." Want to hang out? You know, there was not a like whether or not I liked Susie and the Banshees wasn't relevant to whether or not I wanted to hang out with the person. Because I saw them do something interesting or I thought they were cool looking or oftentimes someone liking Susie and the Banshees that much made them interesting to me. Tell me more about Susie and the Banshees. What did you find there? What did you, what were you looking for that you found when you, when you dug deeper into the catalog of Adam and the ants Yeah, that I didn't see um, just watching the video for stand and deliver? And I still, I still believe, I still believe in that. I still believe that the people that like the same stuff as you are not probably anything like you. Yeah. And that liking the same stuff is an indicator of nothing, really, uh-huh. <laughs> other than just the, uh, some stack of things that happened in your young life where people are like, do you like this or do you like that? And you're like, I guess that. And they're like, okay, great. That's what you like then. And you're like, I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like going to the optometrist. Is this clearer or is that clearer? Well, they're kind of both the same. Okay, well, then pick one. I guess A? Okay, A. And that determines your your prescription and how you see the world for the rest of your life. And there's so many times in the optometrist's office where you're like, ah, A and B are kind of the same to me. I guess I like Oh yeah. B maybe and the and that's your it's written down it's in that's your prescription. And the things you see the rest of of the time you're wearing those glasses are like, well, you chose B. 
my friend. And, <laughs> yeah, right. And that's, that's why... That's why you have a headache tonight. That's right. That's why that light seems uh, like a star instead of like a crisp light bulb. Yeah. But, but that ship has sailed, you know? I mean, that is our culture now. I, there is no going back to even say... Liking the same things is not indicative of commonality. Mm -hmm. Will it's just, it's just like hitting a snare drum that's covered with a pillow. Like nobody's going to hear it. It's too hard. It's too easy to you know to raise a flag that says I love Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and then just deal with the people that show up. Rather than strike out in a in a into the world in a t-shirt with nothing on it, mm -hmm. and go where your go where the day takes you, and it's a it's been a it's been a part of a lot of my friendships. It's true, my relationship with Merlin. I mean, Merlin is uh, Merlin is one million sided. You know what I mean? Like he is a yeah. he is a crystal that has a million sides. Every time you get down and you think you've found a flat place on the diamond, you get down there and you realize it's, it has another cleave in it. And it's actually, it's actually four sides there where he thought it was one. And, uh, you know, 60% of the, the media that he references to me and he knows that I'm, he knows there are giant swaths of his media that I don't know. And he doesn't mention. So just the stuff he mentions to me, 60% of it, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. And, and it's a thing in our friendship for 20 years, we've kind of had to navigate. He's like, Oh, you know, you know, the bass tone on the third Sloan record. And I'm like, I don't. He's like, well, you know, the, so it's a lot like the bass tone on the third Pixies record. And I'm like, don't know that either. He's like, well, you know, the third Pixies record. And I'm like, I mean, if you put Pixies records on the ground, I couldn't arrange them chronologically. No, but I mean, I know them all. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen them all. He's like, Oh man, how do I describe what I'm trying to describe? If you don't know the bass sound on the third Pixies record. Right. I mean, and all of this is happening at the speed of light. Cause it's Merlin. Right, he we're not we're not sitting there. He's not thinking it. Um, it's all oblique, right? And and he's gone from it already. He's he's onto something else. But but I have felt over the years like I miss a lot because I don't because I I don't catalog stuff that way in my mind. But also I just am not. Uh, I don't share a universe, and I know he has friends that he that fill different uh, reservoirs for him, other people that, but you know, I think that I think I'm as close as he gets in, in, in a lot of respects in terms of being able to get references to Uriah heap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cause if you want to make a Uriah heap reference in the world, there just aren't that many people sitting behind home plate with their catchers made up, like throw that Uriah Heap re reference right in here, bro. And you, you remember when <laughs> reference culture was something we were all talking about all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, is this culture or are we just making references? Is, does generation X even have a culture or is it just references that are stacked up on one another until it feels like, ideas and i remember a lot of dismissive think pieces about that but when i listen to when i listen to merlin and my part in our show that we do when i think about the show i do with ken when i think about this show when i think about the way i catalog information now it might be it is because i was raised in this culture but i stack references and they refer to 
they refer to culture. They are each one a tiny metaphor, each one a tiny, um, like a little bubble that holds a universe in each reference. And if you follow, if you climb the ladder, it's impossible to take the time to really go and explore each one and to say, oh, you know, that Godfather reference, which I've heard a million times, each time it means something slightly different. And each time I would have to go in my mind and revisit that scene and see what applies here. But not just that, you know, a reference to Uriah Heep is not a reference to Uriah Heep. It's a reference to the universe of Uriah Heep and how that band was ridiculous even in its time and nobody actually liked them. But they were part of the, they were part of our cosmology. You, you needed Uriah Heep to contextualize Jethro Tull or to understand fully why Genesis was good. If there wasn't a Uriah Heep, how would you be able to interpret Genesis? Mm-hmm. How would you even know what Blue Oyster Cult was? But not everybody can do all of that math all the time. I can't. You know, I can't sit and listen to somebody that's that dense with referent. But I, I wouldn't be able to look at the world without it. Right. I wouldn't be able to describe the world without it. Because it's a world, uh, it's because it's a tapestry not a tapestry even it's like it's like it's like a dumpster full of bubble wrap except every bubble is a different color and you're in the dumpster and you can't get out of the dumpster until you pop every bubble and smoke every cigarette 